Well, good morning, New Hope. Good to be with you, whether in person or online. Thank you so much. Uh, it's here. Can you believe it? Uh, the week of Christmas. Sorry to set you in a panic attack if you're far from, far from prepared. Uh, we got all our presents done. No credit to me. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. So what are your favorite family Christmas traditions? For me growing up, I think uh, one, of the, one of the big ones that comes to mind is we, we grew up in Burnsville, south of, the, of downtown, about 20 minutes. We'd always come downtown, used to be Dayton's, then Macy's, to the, the eighth, floor, eighth floor where they'd have a Christmas storybook story uh, played out with little characters you could walk through and experience the story. How many ever went to the eighth floor? All right, hey, hey. Some good Christmas folks here. Then you could, you could catch the holodazzle. They've brought that back on Nicolette Mall. My daughter Gabby went to it this week. And uh, what, what became fun is when Erin and I got married and had kids, we continued that tradition. And with her family and, and some of her relatives, we'd, we'd go down to that. Uh, there was always the proverbial Christmas carol or, or some kind of show at the Guthrie Theater. But I think for me... My all-time favorite was several years uh, from high school and beyond going into St. Paul to the Penumbra Theater and then the State Theater to see um, the, the production of the Black Nativity. And this was the Christmas story set in the Black gospel music and experience, the, the, the musical of Langston Hughes written in 1961. Such an awesome, raw, and, and authentic telling of the story. I'll never forget my favorite song was No Room, where the solos would just continue to say over and over again, there's no room in the end. And even in high school, I caught how significant that was for many in the African-American community to connect with Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> in homelessness and poverty to come and be born in a manger. Loved that. In this series, Emmanuel, God with us, we've been breaking down the four titles of Jesus given by Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And these were the, the prophecies of the, of the Messiah and the name, the four names given to him 700 years before Jesus would come. And Pastor Bill has gone through the first two of, of these, that God is a wonderful counselor and a mighty God. And what a blessing at this time to dig into the, the depth of these meanings given to the Christ child, to the Messiah come to save us from our sins that give us a little more of the person and the character of Jesus with just these four words, that he alone can shoulder the weight of the world, that his government, the government will be on his shoulders forever. Today, we, we cover the third title given, that Jesus is the everlasting Father. And here is the scripture for our series for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne 
and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here's our big idea for today. If we accept Jesus' title as everlasting Father, then we acknowledge him for everything he is and everything we need. So first of all, if you're taking notes, if we accept Jesus' title as everlasting Father, we accept him for everything he is. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, this prophecy given by Isaiah, given by God through Isaiah, that the child, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, that the child is called an everlasting father. Well, what's that? How is Jesus, the baby born, an everlasting father? And clearly this is not saying that Jesus is the, the Father, as in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the, the Hebrew here means that uh, to be an expression of possessor of. And so Jesus is the Father and possessor of eternity. And this reveals several characteristics of his character. So first of all, he inhabits and possesses eternity. Jesus inhabits and possesses eternity. As the everlasting father, he is the possessor of eternity. And Isaiah 57, 5 says, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I've heard it said, he sits high but looks low. And how amazing that, that God in his preeminence and his exalted status of the possessor of eternity, always been, always will be, that he does not remain far off. He is exalted, he is transcendent, but he is imminent and he will be with those who are humble and contrite in heart. What an amazing gift. So he inhabits and possesses eternity. Secondly, he is the eternal provider. Revelation 21, 6, 7 says this about Jesus. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The alpha is the first letter, and the omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so Jesus is before all and beyond all. All things were created by him and for him so that he would receive glory as the exalted possessor of eternity. And yet in his grace, in his goodness, he does not hold this quality above us. But if we will seek him as our God, he will share his goodness with us. We will receive what we so desperately crave him to be our God, our Father, our family. Thirdly, he is, the, he is eternal in all that he is and all that he does. And two qualities of this is, first of all, he's pre-existent. 
Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth all the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I remember this uh, theological truth messing with my mind when I was a young lad. When I was a little preacher's kid, we and uh, our first home was the parsonage, which was the home that the pastor had. And I remember lying awake all night. My dad must have given me this theological truth that God's always been. I was just trying to figure that out. Don't give that theological truth to your children until they can handle it. But God is preexistent from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. And the second part of this is he is self-existent. In the burning bush, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so this I am is the eternally self-existent, always in the present God. He alone is self-existent. We are dependent on him. He is self-existent. He's always been. He's the possessor of eternity. When I, when I was working youth ministry in the hood in, in Minneapolis, I remember hearing this, this awesome Christian rap song called I Am That I Am. Forever past, I am that I am. Forever present, I am that I am. Forever future, I am that I am. The great I am that I am that I am. It's like Reese's peanut butter cup. So good to the roof of your mouth, it'll get stuck. No, I'm not going to quit my day job. (laughs) But God is the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. He is self-existent. And perhaps the best picture of Jesus explaining this this oneness with the Father in this this quality is John chapter 8 and his defense of his divinity with the Pharisees. Starts in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is the same picture we get in Isaiah chapter 9. Right before these four titles are given, it says that the Messiah will come from Galilee, which is where Jesus grew up. And it says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. My son and I are, are reading through the book of Isaiah, and it's so cool to be reading some of these messianic prophecies of Jesus 700 years before he would come. And the context in the time of Isaiah was a time of great darkness. The people had rebelled, had forsaken God as their God, and judgment was upon them. Enemies were coming to take them into exile. But in this context of this great tribulation, the hope of the gospel in people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's what we sing about at Christmas. It's what's preached about in this gospel story. Continuing in John 8, the Pharisees go back and forth with Jesus, challenging his testimony of being one with God. And and they brag about being, well, we're descendants of our father Abraham. And the only father that, that we have is God himself, to which Jesus responds, 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. And the Pharisees continued to argue with Jesus and ask, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replies, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Did you catch that? That's a reference to what God said his name is, I am. Jesus is giving evidence of himself being the everlasting father, the possessor of eternity, that he was before all things, that he was before Father Abraham. And and this is brilliant. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Well, that lets us know Abraham was living in heaven with the Father, that he could see the coming of the Messiah. He could see the coming of Jesus. And then he caps it off, before Abraham was born, I am identifying himself as part of the Godhead with this self-existent title of being I am. Isaiah is saying that when the Messiah comes, he would be the physical embodiment of the everlasting Father. And so, if we accept Jesus' title as the everlasting Father, then we acknowledge him for everything he is. And secondly, if we accept Jesus as the everlasting Father, we accept him for everything we need. The self-existence of Christ means that he will not leave us as all earthly fathers eventually will. The eternal God took upon himself the limitations of a human body so he could bring us into an everlasting relationship with himself. And herein lies the greatest challenge, the continual Christmas invitation. Will we receive our king for everything he truly is and everything we need? I appreciated how Ray acknowledged that truth that many of us come to this time hurting and either mourning the loss of, of, of parents who have loved us well or or mourning the, the, the drama and the hurt of, of going through hurting family relationships. We, we come to Christmas, we come with our needs, we, we come with our wants, and some carry heartache and wounds, but we all carry the effects of sin in an imperfect world. And yet Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, offers to give us the living water, the sustenance, the things that we long for and that we need for him to be our God and us to be his people. If we will take time to ponder, to to meditate on his word and this incredible reality of who he is, then we can begin to have our broken narratives transformed. God can heal any wounds, any relationships, and only he can fill the hole in our hearts that is longing for eternity and eternal love and perfect peace. Instead of focusing and dwelling on what we're missing, we can learn to dwell more and more on the perfect love of our Heavenly Father. 
the late great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way, There is no unfathering Christ, and there is no unchilding us. He is everlasting a father to those who trust in him. Praise God for our eternal security in Christ, our everlasting father. I love that. It speaks volumes in this little title of the everlasting father. Jesus, you're our everlasting father, and you're never going to unchild us. You have everything we need. Lord, forgive us for glancing at your glory and gazing at our problems. Help us to glance at our earthly realities and gaze at your perfection and your goodness. Psalm 2710 is a prayer I've often prayed for those who have experienced rejection and abandonment in in earthly relationships. Very simple but powerful. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God says again and again, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's not in the abandoning business. He is eternal. He is eternally good. He is all-powerful, and he longs to receive us in his care. He is never going to unchild you. The challenge is, will we really believe this? The problem is we often give lip service to the perfect love of our Heavenly Father, and we acknowledge it, we, we know it, but we stop short of believing it deep in our hearts because if we believe something, it changes attitudes, it changes everything. If we believe that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that's what we can focus on. When we look at the nature of who God is, his perfection, his all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving nature. The problem is we often run away from his perfection in our guilt and shame. Let me ask you, when you read Psalm 139 or you hear Psalm 139 that he knit you in your mother's womb and that you cannot flee from his presence, that he's familiar with all your ways, is that a comfort to you? Or is it a threat to you? Because God stands before us in a posture of grace. And his perfection is meant to guide us and to love us and to heal us. But too often, we won't look honestly at at what we are or, or, or what we need. And as Dr. Phil would say, so how's that working for you? If we would have the courage to look at our lives through the truth and the belief that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are justified, he does not shame us. He corrects us. He disciplines us. But if we would look through the lens of his perfection and his love, I think we'd drop our defenses And we'd surrender and we'd run into his loving arms. 
Whether we've had it good or bad, God wants us to look at him as the number one everlasting father. No matter what we've experienced to this point, there is always a redemptive story waiting in Jesus. I love telling the stories of the impact that my father has had on me. I am unashamed to talk about uh, the grace of God and, and the love of an earthly father and the example that he gave me. But I am so thankful that God did a hard thing and a good thing in taking him from us 15 years ago when he was only 67. He died of esophageal cancer in 2006. And God started bringing me other spiritual fathers. And God gave me a word a couple years after my dad died and said, it's a blessing. I took him from you and surrounded you with all these other fathers. And it is true, because I would have just looked to my dad as an example of fathering, and God's giving me many more. And in that, and in that loss and in that grief, God has helped me to rely on him more. And, and this is my story. I'm not saying this has to be your story. But I know that God wants us to look to him more and more and more as our number one parent. If it's good, then look to him and give him the glory. If it's bad, look to him to, to heal it, to redeem it. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus has come to do what only he can do. We can't bear the weight of the world. He wants to offer his perfect peace. He wants to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Would you let him do that? If we accept Jesus' title as an everlasting father, then we can accept him for everything he is and everything we need. I believe there are people here today that can receive the greatest Christmas present ever. Yes, we have to call on the name of Jesus. And if you have not, I I invite you to call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. But if you do that, don't stop there, because Jesus has come to give us life to the full, abundant life. He's come to be everything we need, an everlasting Father. Will you receive him for everything he is and everything you need? Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for who you are. We just thank you. We just marvel at the Christmas story. We marvel at this prophetic word given to Isaiah. We we marvel at Father Abraham longing to see the day of Jesus, and we, we want to have that kind of response. Who are we? We're loved by you, God. Father, we just ask that you... 
you would do all that you need to do today. Lord, if we've come in burdened by the weight of the world, would you take it, Jesus? Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me and he will never forsake me. God, give people what they need today. And may the light of the world, the people walking in darkness, seeing a great light, shine on us and shine through us and rescue more and more for your glory. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the everlasting Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.